Well, hello to all the people in Nigeria. We miss you and can't wait to hear what you have to tell us next week. And um, you can, for my husband, though, especially tell McKinley that he said hello. And um, you guys are missing out a little bit, though, because Carson's here today. And that is, that is a direct result of Paul's prayers. Uh, I know that because we've been praying for that for years and years and years. And Paul comes along in this church, and he starts praying for a couple weeks, and here's Carson. So thank you, Paul. <laughs> so I'm just going to pray real quick. I have a lot to share and a lot of scripture to look at, so I hope you guys are ready. Father, everything I have and everything I am is yours. I just pray that this message will go forth as you have ordained it. And Lord, I pray that it would be like like when you opened up the minds when you were walking with those on the road to Emmaus, where suddenly they could just see scriptures in a different way and understanding was given. Lord, that's what I pray for today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in it, but we are also fast approaching a time that we know that I will call the choice of the ages. And I call it that because it's the same choice that has been put in front of humankind since the very first people were on the earth. And it's the same choice that the Lord is requiring now. So I want to get right into it, and I want to look from the beginning So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We'll start there. And obviously we're familiar with this. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And we know what happened here in a physical sense. We know the consequences. But what I want to look at today is two questions why did God put two trees in the garden, and what did they exactly represent? See, since the creation of man, we've been, we've been given free will to choose, and it was a very costly gift to give us. It's one of the greatest gifts we have, and it's one of the most costly gifts that the Father gave us, because to do that, he knew before man was ever created that many would not choose him, right? Right? He also knew that for those of us who would choose him, we would, that, that it would come at a great cost of the torture and death of his son. So for free will to be authentic from the beginning, there had to be two, two choices, two options, right? So if the Lord only put the tree of life in the garden and there were no bad choices to make, he then would be somewhat influencing free will of man. It would be like God saying, well, I know I've given them free will, but I, if I just don't put the two trees right in the middle, if I just put the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil back here in a corner, 
or I don't give them a bad option to choose, then maybe I could kind of steer them to a better choice. And no, because that would be manipulation of free will. And the Lord will not do that. He, he still to this day will not do that. So, and, and we, see, we see the character of the Lord in this many different places. In Proverbs 16, Proverbs 20, the Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standard for fairness. The Lord detests double standards of every kind. Okay? So this is the character of our God. So for a choice to be an unmanipulated, free choice, the options have to be made plain, and we have to understand them. And then when we make the choice, it it has weight in the spirit, okay? So we put the two choices before them, but the choice to choose the tree of death was more than just a choice of sin. That's kind of how it's always taught to us, but it, it actually, the choice was way bigger than that. And it sets the tone for the whole rest of the Bible, really. And the real choice of Adam and Eve, Eve first, but was one thing in particular. And it was the choice of idolatry. She knew the command of God not to eat of the tree, right? But what deceived her was the notion that, and this was put forth by the serpent, we know that. But what deceived her was the notion that there was something she lacked or something she could have outside of the Lord's provision, right? So, in essence, she chose not to trust the Lord, and she chose to listen to a voice that she put over the voice of the Lord, okay? So, from the beginning, the choice of humans, from Adam and Eve all the way up to you and me standing here, it's the same choice, and it's always been the same, and I, I've been taught all in church all my life, maybe, maybe you can understand when I say this, but we've, we've kind of been taught that the, the choice is different than this, that it's really just about saved and unsaved. But we, and we know that there is a point that there is the beginning of relationship with the Lord, but, but the choice is way more encompassing than that. And the real choice has always been, will we choose a life-giving relationship with the Lord that will lead us to wholeness, or will we choose another voice? Will we choose idolatry? So we see the same choice presented again hundreds of years later when Moses was giving a presentation to the children of Israel, and I want to read some of this. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to start in verse 16, is the 40 years of wilderness wandering is ending, okay? And you have to think about this. Like, they have been counting the days down for years and months and weeks, and finally it's here, and Moses knows he's not going to enter the promised land with them. And so these are his final words, and, and I would encourage you to read the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's really good. But he's basically, this is his last hurrah with the children of Israel, and he's pleading with them at this point, okay? So Deuteronomy 30, 16. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commandments, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you And the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen 
And if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And, and this, is, this is great because he tells us exactly how to do it. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And then I think this next part is amazing. Um, go one chapter over to Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. I just think this, this whole interaction is amazing. And the Lord is speaking to Moses here. And he says to Moses, You are about to die and join your ancestors. After you're gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the land where they are going. They will abandon me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured. Terrible trouble will come down on them, and on that day they will say, These disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of all the evil they commit by worshiping other gods. And this is the amazing part to me. So write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Help them to learn it so it may serve as a witness for me, witness for me against them. For I will bring them into the land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. There they will become prosperous, eat all the food they want, and become fat. But they will begin to worship other gods. They will despise me and break my covenant. And when great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them. For it will never be forgotten by their descendants. I know the intentions of these people even now before they have entered the land I swore to give them. So that very day... Moses wrote down the words of the song and taught it to the Israelites. And you can go on there and you can read this. It's a long song, and it has a lot of lyrics. So basically Moses is saying, after all this, you still aren't going to listen. And I'm supposed to teach you this song to incriminate yourself before the Lord before you even cross into the land. So you can never say he didn't warn you. And this song is going to play forever in your mind. All right, several hundred more years go by, and we see this choice laid out again, clearly by Solomon. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, chapter 1, and this is Solomon writing, but this is the personification of wisdom. I called to you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. 
Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. And complacency is another word for lukewarm. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. See, all God ever wanted was relationship with his creation in which blessing and wholeness and peace could be expected. And he's never wavered on that. Everything he's ever done and written into the Bible centers around this same one choice. If you choose close relationship with me, I have so much for you. But if you choose another voice over mine, I will hand you over to everything that will come to you as a result of your inability to live according to my voice alone. And it's really that simple. And we see how Israel, you know, they created these statues and these golden calves, and we read it, and we're like, this is terrible. How could they do this? And and we get frustrated even reading it in the scripture, but we, we fail to see that the exact same thing happens today. It just looks different. See, every downward spiral in life and entrance point for oppression in our lives is caused by our decision to listen to another voice. And it can be friends, it can be family, it can be the internet. I mean, if you, if you have a health concern, doctors know what to do, right? Or we can listen to a bunch of health coaches, we can buy diet books, we can listen to podcasts, we can get second opinions, we can find alternative practitioners, Trust me, if you are sick long enough, everyone has a solution for you. And the voices are endless. And we do this thing where we go on Amazon and we we read reviews on supplements. And we do this for hours. I do it. I've done it. And we're, we're looking for that one review that has the health concern that we have and just to see if this helps somebody. And if it does, click, we're buying that thing. And then if we're not careful, what happens is, this like little bit of, of hope and trust that was in the Lord now becomes positioned into this thing. Instead, if you have um, emotional pain or trauma, you can, you can definitely see counselors for that. And there's, you know, you need a lot of self-care. <laughs> and if you have relational dysfunction, there's books, there's counselors, there's marriage conferences, there's Dr. Phil. If you have financial problems, you can use debt consolidation companies and you can listen to Dave Ramsey and I like Dave Ramsey I do but there's all kinds of things if you're worried about COVID you can listen to the news you can wear two masks you can get four booster shots and you can avoid people but do you get the point like none of these things were ever supposed to replace the voice of God And they're not bad or wrong in themselves. Like doctors and counselors are not the enemy. And good resources are good. I have been led by God to many resources that people have put out. But my question is, is there any human voice, is there any human on earth that knows the intricacies of what we need more than the Lord himself? And so the question is, what if our healing and our wholeness in every area of our life is up to the choice of us doing one thing, and it's just listening to his voice in relationship? And we hear this stuff all around us, like, 
Well, uh, this health concern I have, and my doctor says, you know, I'm going to, I'm headed down this downward spiral, and, you know, I have this generational thing that's been passed down in my family. Like, says who? I've met people that are so convinced that certain things are more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And it's like they're these untouchable things that, well, I mean, I mean, the Lord would heal that, but not, I mean, not genetic diseases, not autism, not, you know, really strong addiction or, you know, the big things. I mean, my, my son has at least 12, quote, incurable conditions. But says who? And people think death is pretty permanent, too. But did you know that there are nine other instances in the Bible where people were raised from the dead, aside from Jesus himself? So I'm sorry, what is too hard for the Lord? Is anything really impossible for God? And, and I just wonder, like, how did we get to this place where there's no faith for healing and faith for the raising of the dead and faith for the breaking of addictions and faith for the things that to be restored that don't seem like they can be restored and sadly it's because even though they don't look like golden calves they're still putting too much weight on voices that are not the lord's voices the lord's voice so practically how do we how do we make this paradigm transition because the world says to make a decision we have to receive a bunch of information we have to put these contingency plans in place and we have these fallback strategies well if i do this then i mean if i do this and it doesn't work then i have this thing i can fall back on and you know we 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 put all these things in place so that we feel safe to make a decision and this can be making decisions according to Proverbs 16:25 which says there is a way that seems right to a man but it ends in death but as we grow in relationship with the Lord a completely different scenario starts to happen and we start to cling to his word and we start to listen to his voice and then we just begin to be drawn to decisions that we can't really explain a lot of the times and we just know that we have this compelling, and that is the Holy Spirit. And um, Greg talked about this last week when he was talking about faith. But you can only walk forward with the Lord when you begin to push aside what makes logical sense to do. Because faith will never agree with logic. And that's really uncomfortable at first. So we either move forward or we can resist that. But I, I just know that whenever you walk forward with the Lord, it will always rail against prevailing culture. It will not really ever be comfortable. And so if we just can't take that, that uncomfortableness, we can resist that and we can back off and the Lord will literally back down. He'll say, okay. You know, and that's a horrible thought. I can't imagine, I can't even take the thought that, that I would do something to resist the Lord's work in my life. So what happens is eventually over time of being willing to keep walking and moving according to his voice alone, we actually start disregarding logic altogether. 
And that is walking by faith and not sight. And unfortunately, most people never really make the switch completely because they abort the process when it starts to come against their sensibilities. And that's why we see so many people in constant turmoil, because that middle place of spirit versus mind and that turmoil place is not a place of peace. And that's what it, it talks about here. And I'm going to read it, James 1, James 1, 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. But it's conditional here, the next part. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone and do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is, un, un, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So I want to talk about for a minute like how, how God builds our faith because it is backwards from the way most people think. So first, he will allow something in our lives that's a trial or difficulty, and, and it's something that will come and make a demand of faith on our lives, basically. And we go into turmoil, and we have, we have a wrestle period because he's forcing a choice. We, we, and once we choose solidly to trust God, then that choice will usually then take us into an upgrade of relationship, or, or he'll give us understanding later or um, an upgrade of assignment or something, but it's the choice of faith first, then information, okay? Most people want the information. Well, well tell me about what I'm going to get into so they can choose whether to have faith or not. And the Lord is like, nope, that's not how this works. If you need to have information to trust me, then it's not really faith, right? Because by nature, faith is blind, so it's not, here's the information so that I can choose to have faith. It's faith first, information later, okay? This idea also applies to, um, the same thing also applies to the, the discussion of faith versus works. So we know in James 2 that, that faith without works is dead, right? But it's not, it's not works, it's not works first. We do things and then then we have faith. And by that, I mean, we don't, we don't do things to prove to the Lord that we have faith. That's backwards. And, and it's opposite of the way most people think. Um, we, we can't prove anything to God. He knows whether we have faith or not. So again, it's, it's, we choose faith first and the works follow behind the faith. That's why James said, I will show you my faith by my works. And and the thing is is if we if if we actually have real faith that's in place, the works, I don't even have to worry about works. They automatically follow. They automatically happen. And so yeah, does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. If we if we have to do if we have to do works to prove faith, that's actually legalism. If we do works as a result of our faith, that is relational. 
So it seems like a subtle difference, but it's actually the biggest difference in the world in heart motivation. It's like, um, it's like last week when Greg was talking about Abraham and Isaac. People read that and they think, well, Abraham walked Isaac up that hill to sacrifice him to prove to the Lord he had faith. No, Abraham's faith was already in place. That is how he walked Isaac up the hill. You can't do something like that unless the faith in the Lord is already there. Okay? Last year I was praying for a a healing of a certain person. And this was a person that's a public figure. It wasn't somebody I knew. But this person seemed to have a lot of influence for the good. And so he, he did end up passing away. And when he died, the, the day he died, I really was frustrated. I, I prayed about it, and I was just like, oh, Lord, you know what? I am so tired of seeing these. I'm tired of seeing Satan take these people off the earth with these diseases. And, and the Lord said something to me that I didn't expect. He said, destruction of the enemy's plans comes in different kinds. And then he said, I'm going to show you what happened today and what is to come. So I was like, okay. And a couple days after that, Shannon had a vision that the Lord told her was for me. So she told me about it. And in this vision, she was seeing a part of heaven almost like, like what is described in Ezekiel 47 or Revelation 22. And it was, she described this, seeing this beautiful river flowing clear and beautiful and there were trees along the river banks of both sides of the river and then she saw a vine flowing through the river and the vine would stop in front of a tree and produce this big beautiful white flower and and if that happened the tree would grow and flourish and produce fruit and become bigger And then if the vine passed by and didn't produce a flower in front of the tree, the tree would wither and die. And I thought about that. I I pondered that with the Lord for a long time. And the Lord began to show me what it looks like for the lukewarm to be spit out of his mouth. See, I I believe these trees represent... um, people who have been or are still living on the earth and they are people who know the lord they're people who have existed in a a measure of conditional blessing and grace up until this point and so the the white flower blooming represents a person's willingness in relationship to go to those places that he wants to take them of surrender and purification in order for their trust to be established. And if they choose that path, then they will grow and they will flourish and they will produce fruit. And if they won't choose full trust and allow that surrender and purification process, they aren't going to make it. Their usefulness then is over. And I want to look at some scriptures pertaining to this idea. Let's first look at Luke chapter 3 starting in verse 7. And this is John the Baptist here. I've been struck with how it feels like every time I read the things that John the Baptist said, 
I've been struck with how it feels like we are living in exactly the same time as, as when he was saying these things to prepare the way for Jesus. I feel like we're living in the exact same time right now, saying the same things, preparing the way for Jesus again. So uh, this is John the Baptist speaking. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. The people were like, what do you mean repent and turn to God? We're Jews. Of course we believe in God. It's kind of like the church today saying, what do you mean repent? We, we ha- we're saved. You know, we believe in God. And what, he, what John is saying there is, you guys have no idea what's coming. And the only way you're going to make it through the coming judgment is, is with a repentant heart. It's, it's no different than right now. And then he says this, Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Okay, I want to look at another one. Um, you can go with me if you'd like to Psalm 78, verse 32. This is another argument against, well, God would never bring judgment. The psalmist here is talking about, um, it goes through this whole long list of all the things that God did for the people of Israel. And it's this whole long, wonderful list. And then it says this, but in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite all his wonders, they refused to trust him. So he ended their lives in failure, their years in terror. When God began killing them, they finally sought him. They repented and took God seriously. Then they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. Okay, and I want to look at this one. This one is a good one. Jeremiah 17 verse 5. Uh, The Lord woke me up a couple weeks ago at 2 a.m. and this verse was playing in my head and I was like, what? And I had to I had to wake up and find it and write it down before I could go back to sleep. And, And really, I could just read these verses and sit down because this is everything I'm trying to say wrapped up in just a few verses here. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength And turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. Jesus himself spoke of this very same thing in John 15. And, and these are very familiar verses. Um, and sometimes things are familiar. We don't really hear them, and we need to hear them. But he said this. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, 
and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. It sounds pretty final. It also sounds like being spit out of the mouth of the Lord. But what do you, what does it mean to remain? Like we, we say this verse, I mean this phrase around here a lot, press into the Lord, right? And that's all good. It's important. But understand it's not for the purpose of seeking the Lord for a particular time or a, for a particular issue. It's because there shouldn't be times where we are focusing on the Lord more as versus focusing on the Lord less. There, there is a higher level of relationship we can live in where um, I, I don't actually press into the Lord. I live a lifestyle of staying pressed in. I, I don't care about anything else in life more than this one thing. Because not a single endeavor on earth is more satisfying than being with the Lord. So encouraging someone to press in is good, and it's a, it's a beginning place of relationship. But if we keep doing that, we arrive at that remaining place, that abiding place, that never leaving the pressed in place. Okay? And I, I wake up every morning, and I, I say this to the Lord, but I, I wake up with one goal, and it's just one, and that is to be with the Father. That's it. I aspire to nothing else. And anything else that happens that day or flows or, you know, anything else I'm doing flows from that one thing. And now that I've found that lifestyle, I am never leaving. And, and you who understand that continual abiding place, you, are, you understand what I'm saying. You are never leaving. I am never letting anything sever me from the vine because to be severed from the vine is death, basically. It's it's barrenness. There's no life in it. So we know that the Lord is going to take his church into a choice of complete trust. And I want to get a visual on how clear this picture is. So you guys, you can put that up, Isaac, the picture of the trees. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully you can see this. We know that the Lord is going to eliminate the lukewarm option. Okay. So if you find yourself in a lukewarm place, you either got to choose hot or by default you are going to be in this left-hand category over here. Okay, and these are just a few of the things, but let's look at them. To choose, I'm going to just call it the tree of death because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really long to say. So if you choose death, this is one of the things that was first lost under the curse of sin, right? We have hard labor with low reward. Where with the Lord on the tree of life side, we are always fulfilled in what, whatever he asks us to do, and we are flourishing. Okay? On the, on the death side, the enemy will make sure you live in a place of anxiety, fear, panic, dread. 
on the tree of life side, the hot side, you have peace because your trust is fully in the Lord and you can sleep in the storm like Jesus did in the boat when the storm was raging. Okay, on the death side, there is lack. There is this feeling of never having enough. There's this poverty mentality. On the tree of life side, there is abundant provision. All right, tree of death side, there's oppression by the enemy and enslavement by the enemy. On the life side, you have rulership over the enemy and freedom. Okay? On this side, you have human reasoning. And that's the best you have. You have the best that human reasoning can offer you. Okay? I mean, men men are smart. People are smart. But that's the best you have. On the tree of life side, there is complete wisdom because you are connected to absolute wisdom. Okay? On this side, there's, you are triggered. You are easily offended. Okay? On this side, did you know that you can live unoffendable you can it's hard to get there it's not easy to get there what it takes is laying down your rights which is what jesus did he laid down every right he had he had way more rights than we do and he laid them down and that was his lifestyle of gethsemane okay where he said not my will but yours be done lord okay on the death side we have hopelessness we have despair And those are awful places to be. On the Lord's side, we always have hope. And we always have answers because there are always solutions with the Lord. On the death side, we have pride that will always lead to a fall. It will always lead to destruction. On the life side, we have a surrender choice that leads to honor. Says many times in Proverbs, humility precedes honor. Okay? All right, on the death side, you have confusion, you have constant frustration. On the tree of life side, you can have clarity and you can have ease. On the death side, you have disease of the body. On the life side, you have perfect health and wholeness. On the death side, we have, and this is one of the scariest things to me, abandonment. I mean, we read some of the verses where the Lord says, I will abandon them. I will hide my face. I actually can't think of anything worse than that. But on the life side, God is with us. All right. On this side, deceived easily. On this side, we're connected to truth. So we always have discernment of truth. We can trust that, that we're not going to be deceived. Okay. The death side, we have lots of broken relationships. But when we live on the hot side of trusting the Lord, we can have reconciliation and we can have relationships built on honesty and built on love. And last thing on this list, there is corruption always, always chaos, always lawlessness on the death side of things. Okay, Tree of life, there is holiness and there is order. And these are really just a few. We could go on and on but to be clear to reject close relationship with god is to reject all of those things like you need to be clear on that and when we look at it this way what is so hard about this choice i mean honestly i mean besides the left side being like a terrible existence 
everything the enemy has ever done will fail. It's already been decided. It's already been done. And this decision to be close to God isn't even hard. It's, I don't want to say it's not hard. It's not easy to live a surrendered life. I don't want to give you the wrong idea. But it's not a hard choice. We can choose now or we can wait until deep trial forces us into it. Because when affliction comes, the choice is forced for surrender to God in trust or literally be on the side of his enemies. There's, it's either all in or it's out. There's no in-between, okay? There's this verse in Proverbs 19, and it says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. Like, why, why, do, we, why do we want to run to control of everything and try to do life on our own? Can we not see the futility of, of standing against the purposes that we were so created for? Like, what is so important that we have to do that that would hold a candle to what the Lord wants to do in us? So often we find out if we really have faith when the need arises, right? Because we don't we don't often know our own degree of trust in God until there's a demand of faith needed because there's a factor or a problem or a trial that comes. And, And this is what happened to us 10 years ago. When extreme difficulty hit our family, I, I had always believed in God. I, I thought I had trusted God, but I actually found out my faith was pretty weak, and it surprised me. So when that happens in your life, you have two choices. You can give up, and you can forsake the Lord, or you can choose to fight hard for the faith needed to rise above the level of trial you are experiencing. And when the situation or the trial is big and long and hard, then the faith required to meet that demand has to be stronger. And, and that's my own story of having that happen. And then, you know, reading the word of God and throwing myself down on my face and beginning to understand that my circumstances were not lining up with what the word of God says. So then there's this dilemma. It's like, okay, Am I supposed to meet the circumstances with no faith and therefore have no victory? Or am I supposed to require as a daughter of God that my circumstances begin to line up with the word of God? Which thing is more true? Is it my circumstances or is it God's word? And this is how God teaches us everything and he causes us to choose. Like whenever he's... he's, He's deepening our relationship with him. We will face things that seem opposite because many of the fruits of the spirit aren't established in us until they're needed. Right. And so so like when God wants us to learn patience or perseverance, he will allow things to happen in our lives where everything slows down and and we have to choose to be patient. Right, Because we can't learn patience and perseverance in the middle of rapid movement. And when God needs us to learn dependence on him for provision, he will allow circumstances in our lives where we need something and we don't know how to get it. And we don't know how to pay for it. And 
will be faced with not being able to produce what is needed. And so how else is the choice forged within us of whether we're going to trust or whether we're going to freak out and strive and try to make a solution happen? And even for those of us who have solidly chosen this right side, we understand the remaining in him lifestyle, but even there, we don't stop being presented with a series of choices by the Lord because there's no ceiling in relationship with the Lord. We can have as much of him as we want, but it's all dependent upon our willingness to keep making those choices of faith. I I was speaking to the women a few weeks ago, and, and I was telling them about how I keep having this feeling that this like deep spiritual feeling that I am this little girl and it's like okay I'm you know I am my age but spiritually I feel like I'm being reduced to this little girl like three-year-old girl state and it's going against my sensibilities because what I want is to be bold and confident strong and you know yeah and and instead I just feel like I'm this little girl so I keep asking the Lord like what is this why do I feel like this? You know, and, and my, my realization is we feel like that because that's the place we're supposed to be in. We know that Jesus said in Mark 10, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Like you realize God didn't create us to age to deteriorate, or to die. That was all a result of the fall. And the growing up process causes people to become like falsely secure or falsely wise or falsely powerful. And our culture is like, you know, oh, people aren't going to help you. You've got to help yourself. You've got to do it on your own self. You've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever those expressions are. And this is our culture. But... Trust is easy for children who are loved. It's not hard. They're aware of their need and their dependence on the Lord, right? Like, we don't have to figure everything out. We were not designed for that. We were created for trust. So we're created to stay young, actually, and always trust and never take life on ourselves, I mean, we we were created to mature, yes, spiritually, but not to the point of self-sufficiency. So we need to, like, reverse age. We need to get younger in our paradigm and trust like children do. Because when my children were little and they were toddlers, they didn't have to wake up every morning and beg for me to protect them. They didn't have to beg me for food. Like, I carefully watched over them. I carefully provided for them. I carefully protected them for one reason, and that's because they were mine. It's no different than the Lord. And this is the response that the Lord is looking for. When we see things getting worse in our country and we we see things getting darker and and it's not, oh, we have to control everything and now we got to stockpile stuff we got to be ready we have to you know and and it's not preparation is not wrong but the response we need to offer the lord is not fear and control it's actually letting go 
It's actually trusting, like children. And once you understand that, it's actually way easier. I mean, this is what Jesus meant when he said, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We weren't supposed to carry all these things that we carry. We are not orphans. We are trust, we're, we're loved children of, of God. We're cared for. All it takes is the choice, and it's the choice he's been asking us to make since the very beginning of time. And it's just the choice to trust the one who is completely trustworthy. And I just want to read one last verse before we close. If you have time this week, though, I would encourage you, I'm not going to go into it now, but I would encourage you to read Isaiah 30. It is remarkably similar to the time we are living in now. Um, There's a parallel there where Judah is trusting in Egypt, um, falsely, stupidly, trusting in Egypt to protect them and provide for them, whatever. But the whole chapter is about this choice. And it's the same thing we're talking here. But I just want to read this one verse, Isaiah 30, verse 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so that he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And because it's just so good, I also want to read it in the Amplified Version. Because I just think this is beautiful. And therefore the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, longing to be gracious to you. And therefore he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. For the the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who earnestly wait for him, who expect and look and long for him, for his victory, his favor, his love, his peace, his joy, and his matchless, unbroken companionship. That's what he's looking for. (laughs) He's just looking for our choice for life and our choice for trust. Okay, I'm going to let Josh come and close us in prayer. Father God, I just worship you. I praise you, Jesus. I thank you. God, I thank you.